What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. In today's show, I sit down with a friend of mine, PropTech entrepreneur Healy Hines, who is the CEO and founder of Irish software business Beagle.io. Now, Healy is no stranger to the property market, having been born into a well-known property family here in Ireland. His father was quite an influential person in the whole Irish property scene and involved in a number of the kind of societies and uh, associations involved in property in the Irish market. Now, what possessed Healy to leave the relative security of a family property business to pursue a technology venture? Well, that is one of the many questions that I'm going to get into with Healy today. For those of you listening from the UK or the US, you may be interested to know that Healy is currently working on scaling his business across the US. So do watch this space and it should be an interesting um, episode for anyone who is interested in innovation and in particular into the whole prop tech scene, which is one of my kind of strong interests. So without further ado, let me switch over now to my conversation with Healy Hines. You are listening to Behind the Facade, and I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher. On this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, your behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. Healy Hines, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing very well, Gavin. Thanks so much for having me on the program. Not at all. And uh, first of all, Healy, where in the world are you as we speak? Uh, as we speak, I am in Athlone. Um, Central yeah, Ireland. So Central Ireland, right in the middle of the bogs. <laughs> one, <laughs> one, one kilometre from, from, from the lakes. Yeah, okay. so that, that, that's where I am at the moment. Trying to keep myself warm in, in this wintry island. Um, but what's interesting about this conversation is that despite the fact that you're in Central Ireland, you're actually building your business in the US now very much. And so we'll yeah. be going into that today. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's, it's, we, we've, Ireland, Ireland is a great testbed for, for a global market. And I think a lot of the Irish prop tech companies, that's the way that they've been designed and we're following a similar model. Brilliant. Well, that's what we're talking about today, prop tech, and in particular, your, your prop tech company, Beagle.io. Um, but before we get into all of that, Healy, can you just um, like for a bit of context, you, you know, there's a there's a bit of a backstory here. You you didn't start out as a tech guy. You started out as a traditional auctioneer and uh, like a state agent, isn't that right? That's that that's correct. I'm I'm a second generation property head. Um, <laughs> property head, I like. My, it. Yeah, my my dad set up our family business in the late '60s, so he he was actually one of the founders of of IPAV. Um, I think he was one of the first presidents of IPAV back in the day. That's so the Irish he, property auctioneers and valuers, isn't it? That that that's correct. Yeah, and he, he was a he was a fellow of of the um, the what was now the SCSI as well. So he was very heavily involved in the industry and and helped form a number of uh, organisations in Ireland uh, back during the eighties and nineties. So I was deeply versed in the industry from from day one. Um, uh, I remember working show houses and marketing suites and new home schemes when I was like 
eight or nine with my little bow tie going around showing people around apartment complexes and so I, I grew up in the industry it was a family business my mom worked in it my dad worked in it my aunts worked in it everybody wow. worked in the family business um so it, it was it was a natural move for me i i went to university and my, my degree was, was in marketing and business studies i actually started off in science but then moved into marketing and business studies and then came back to work in the family business after that so i took over the running of that company um in the mid to late 90s i suppose um when my father in inverted commas retired which lasted all about six months until my mum kicked him back into the office again because he was putting the, the Delph into the wrong press and annoying her. Off. Yeah. So, <laughs> so she grabbed me and says, can you, ring your, can you tell your father you're busy in the office and you need him back in again? So that henceforth unretired after about six months. Um, so it was very, very much a family business. Excellent. We were, we were heavily involved in uh, land acquisitions, planning, zoning, development, sales, management, the full cycle. Um, right. And then, then at the same time, I set up a digital marketing agency. So uh, there was a whole gap in the market I'd felt in the marketing of new homes in the early 2000s. Um, so I set up a digital marketing agency to do that for our own schemes and then other agents started, started using that as well. What was that called? Uh, the agency was called Real Creative. Um, right, so okay. We, yeah, so we, we, we worked we, we worked with, with developers all over Ireland, really, and it was great because I suppose my, my connection in the industry, my dad's connections in the industry, thanks for the God, um, we, we were very successful in, in that business as well, but that obviously all changed in, in 2008. So. Yeah, 2008 was kind of a watershed moment for pretty much everyone in the property industry in Ireland. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, there was, a, there was a come to Jesus, I think, for a lot of people, and I think there's still PTSD in the industry as a result there is. of it. That, that, that's the scar that's never gone away. I can tell you that PTSD is a good word to describe it. In terms yeah. of, um, I mean, it's funny, I was just speaking with somebody the other day, and we were, in fact, the latest, one of the recent podcasts I did on the, on just the state of the market and the, you know, the supply demand imbalance and stuff. And it all stems from 2008, like when the construction industry got decimated and we went from 90,000 houses a year output to like 8,000. And so decimated yeah. is actually what happened. It went to one tenth of its size. And then it has taken a decade for it to get to one third of its size that it was at the time. Yeah. And that is where all of our housing woes stem from these days, you know? So it's, uh, it's interesting. And tell me this, um, I mean, the, the step over to prop tech, um, I mean, I remember I was I started hearing the term prop tech around about, I think it was 2017 or something like that. Were you hearing it before? Were you kind of hearing it before that? Or is it around the time that Beagle.com Beagle or .io started to become a kind of a, a reality? Um, yeah, I suppose that was the first time I would have heard the term being referred to. The, fir the first time, like the, the concept behind Beagle first came into my head. I would say about 2000. Um, Just the tech didn't exist at the time? or Yeah, the, the tech didn't exist. I remember the first time I sat down and, and I, I, I probably, I, I'd used Amazon previously for buying books and that kind of stuff. But the first time I actually saw eBay, I went to my head, this is, this is phenomenal. This is unbelievable stuff. I said, there has to be some sort of way of leveraging that into the, into the real estate sector. Yeah. And then once mobile phones came about and 
people started interacting with them and emails and, and all that kind of stuff on, on the phone devices. The, the idea of the remote 24-7 piece further got re reinforced in my head um, that there, the, the UX and the customer journey was archaic and, and was ripe for, for disruption. But how that was going to get done, the actual process behind it was still still nascent. Um, and it was really only in about 2017 um, that I started to come to come to terms, I suppose, with um, formulating what would become the product itself. Interesting. And so just, I mean, from the point of, uh, say, a potential client listening in, how would you describe, you know, the features and benefits of uh, Beagle as a kind of a product that they would consider using? Why would they come over and start looking at it? Sure. Well, the, 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 the part that we solve, the problem that we solve is the, the fact that making offers on property is a frustrating, fragmented, inefficient process. It's archaic and is all over the place um, and has, has been for years. Something that hasn't been addressed for since, since, since forever. Yeah. Um, so what, what we do is we digitize the customer journey. The top of funnel, most of the estate agents customers are digital by default. 80% of them are coming to an agent through an email or a website or something. They're, they're not walking in the door. They just don't. That day, those uh, days are gone. Yeah, the whole the branch office kind of a thing. Yeah, it's 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 there. The the office exists, but the requirement of the office for people to walk in the door and get a catalog and this kind of stuff and or ringing you up and saying what do you have for sale that that's gone. Um, like that that went twenty years ago. Um, yeah. so the, the the consumer is digital by default. The agent is at, is making it an analog process they're the ones creating the fragmentation not the consumers so the, the the fear i think by a lot of agents is that they're pushing their clients to something that they don't want it's actually the other way around right. the consumers the consumers are digital by default they're they're interacting with with their phones they're buying cars online they're booking holidays online the last 18 months has, has shown us the way that the world actually operates yeah um, if 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 everybody's working from home, if this wasn't viable, every company in the country would be bust at this stage. Yeah, and they'd all be and they'd all be sort of piling back into the office at the for earliest moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if, if the all the, the conversation now is around how many days can we get them back into the office, and comp like it, it's it's they're calling it in some places the great resignation. Like people are leaving companies. That want them to come back in five days a week, they're just simply not going to do it. Yeah. So, so the companies themselves are responding with tools that that support this ecosystem, and that's that's effectively what Beagle is. What, what we've realised is that, and that bidding piece, that's a global problem, regardless of what regulatory environment surrounds it, what the sale type is, what the house type is what the language is what how the what the company culture is they're they're all they're all secondary or they're not secondary but they're 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 they, they vary from case to case but the act the pain point remains the same no matter where you look at it we we, we have done years of research on this talking to stakeholders in countries and languages and and jurisdictions all over the world and they all have the same particular pain point so we've we've we're addressing that vertical 
Um, and the benefit from our perspective of doing that is because we're task specific, the agents themselves get to determine how they want to run their businesses. We're not prescriptive. We don't tell the agent how to operate their business. They're long enough at it to know what tools, what their business operates, their own business model. We give them the tool to digitize that business model. We don't look to supplant it with something else. Right. Um, it's one of the reasons why we don't have a consumer-facing brand. Um, we, so yours we, is kind of a backbone behind the scenes. It's not front. Yeah. Okay. That's what I. Yeah, yeah. That's the bit that I didn't get. Yeah. 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 We're 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 more like Oracle. That we were compared to Oracle last week, and in, 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 from a client who was talking, we're we're an infrastructure company. If a consumer never sees a Beagle logo, and even if an agent never sees a Beagle logo, we're delighted. It makes absolutely no difference to us. We give them the tools and the technology to digitize their customer journey. How they implement us, that's up to them. They know better than we do. Okay. And that's okay. So that's interesting because, I mean, you're probably aware here in East Point, Oracle is actually one of our largest uh, occupiers. And, uh, and so I'm very familiar with Oracle and what they do and stuff. So that, would, that, that immediately makes it clear to me why America is your kind of target market um, because it's, enter- it's all about the enterprise kind of side to it, isn't it? It is, yeah. It, it, this is the, we're we're an enterprise company, so we we deal with company we deal with 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 organisations who are looking to digitise their consumers' customer journeys, di- digitise their teams and their group organisations. They have they they know how they want to deploy us inside in their companies, and we provide them with with the technology to do that, and then give them access to the data sets that then arise from, from that customer journey so they know how their teams are performing. And so in terms of, uh, let's just make it kind of simple, in terms of a, a kind of a, a family business running down the country here in Ireland, let's, yep. you know, somebody, they're used to having paper diaries and they're used to having kind of running out to, to meet clients and appointments and all that kind of stuff. That can all be turned into a, a telephone, basically. Uh, appointments made, uh, clients introduced to agents on the ground, all that kind of stuff. All of that is taken and nobody has to hire somebody to go and create a website for them and, and all that. You basically just plug in their logo and plug in their telephone number into the bottom of the website or whatever. Yeah, we, we, we plug into their, their pre-existing architecture. So they, they have, the agents are very precious of their, their public profile. It's an, it's an industry that has no repeat customers. So they, they need to have that presence and, and they, they're they very conscious of and very protective of their relationship with their buyers and their sellers. So we we plug into their pre-existing system. If an, if an, if an Irish agent comes onto the, system, onto the application and they want to sign up, we would sign them up, give them the tools and technology and we give them a plug-in that they, they give to their, their website people that drop straight into their, their pre-existing system. Um, so depending on how how complicated or simple that their technology base is, they could be up and running in twenty four hours. Okay, um, interesting. We, we we deploy and then they they decide how how they want to implement us. Some clients will have a level of pre screening before they allow people to make offers on the properties. Some will not. Um, some will require KYC documentation or proof of funds before they enable them to make offers. Some will not. That's their business. They know so what they're doing. Just so, choose whatever whatever works for you, and then you can fulfill that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. And is it yeah, is it, it um, is it primarily a residential kind of a product, or is it any any kind of aspect of the real estate industry? We we support all aspects of the real real estate industry, but because of the nature of the real estate industry, most of our transactions are residential, same as every other brokerage or company that's out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And tell me this. So, I mean, from from your perspective, having been an agent, uh, you know, involved in a family sort of real estate business or brokerage, uh, moving over to prop tech. I mean, was it a massive transition? Did you have to kind of learn on the job or did you find that it was very much kind of an easy stepping stone for you to make? For me, it was quite easy, being honest about it. Um, I, I was always writing code. So like the, the first version of Beagle, I built myself. Um, now, yeah. I, I did that while I was still running the agency and I was the kind of guy... I was one of those nerdy kids in, in the bedroom who was writing computer games at, at an earlier age. And as things went along, like I, I, I built networks and stuff at home and did a bit of coding and this kind of stuff. So I, I would have been familiar with technology consistently. Um, the, the, the difficult thing, I suppose, was, was, was making the break between one and the other and um, detaching yourself from, from a family business can be incredibly difficult, as, as I'm sure you're aware. Yeah, it is uh, very difficult to detach. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, but instead, like my, my sister, my sister runs that company now very successfully. Um, so it's not it's not as if I'm I'm not a hundred percent removed from the industry. I'm a hundred percent removed from the business, but I'm not a hundred percent removed from the industry. If you know, you what still I mean. hear all the uh, the ups and downs and <laughs> how it's oh, going. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm 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 still I'm I'm still involved in it from from that perspective. So I I, I know I keep I keep an ear to the ground and and the the daily woes of these things. But what would you describe as the most difficult aspect of sort of running a, a prop tech business? I mean, is the fundraising difficult or easy or is there another aspect that you find most challenging? The challenging piece, the challenging piece for me was um, pace, I suppose, is the, be is the best way to put it, was sitting back and not jumping to conclusions about where I thought the product needed to go. Um, parking my own prejudices from having come from an agency perspective and thinking this is the way the product should go and actually taking the time to analyze consumer behavior agent behavior market dynamics and being prepared to to respond to those positions and um it's one of the reasons why the we we, we 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 if we parked we we started from scratch all over again, um in twenty twenty, um when we started working with with Microsoft, um so right. we actually we made a decision in 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 March when 20, when COVID kicked off, we made a decision to um re rearchitect and rebuild an entire new tech stack from scratch, wow. not actually, <laughs> yeah yeah and that was down to just realizing that that was the that was the route to go and um, start from scratch basically yeah yeah we, we we decided that the time time was right to do it it was always something we we're going to do and and we said there's an opportunity here now with the way the industry is coming around there's a lull and there's a lag that we're going to have by the time the industry comes out of this we need to have our enterprise product ready to go for them right um right. so so we basically dropped the hammer 
hired some more developers um and and kicked on with what we were what we were trying to do and um that's that's where we are now that's the product that we're rolling out now and in, but in terms of funding and things like that, I, I've heard, you know, the complaints from other prop tech people that, you know, the Irish market is a great test bed, but it's very hard to raise any kind of capital in this market. Like venture capital is not that easy in the Irish market. Is that the, the view that you've found to be the case? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a lack of understanding of the industry, I think. Um, and from an outsider's perspective, everybody gets, they, they get distracted by the tickets prices they get distracted by three four five hundred thousand euros and who's getting a slice of what and all this kind of stuff and they just just don't get how the industry actually operates right uh so that that and that's why from from our perspective like beagle is is 100 bootstrap we have not raised outside capital oh really um, nothing at all wow that's interesting zero. yeah um and th- that was a combination of reasons but largely these are long journeys um, and you need to have a team that's singing off the same hymn sheet and if the partners that you're talking to they, either you don't get them or they don't get you especially at, at early stage companies it's just not worth the grief yeah. um, from their perspective or yours because raising outside funds brings pressure yeah and there, there's there's a there's a chase for revenue and if you're chasing revenue you may miss a better product market fit so that was the decision that we took to not to not do that luckily we had the luxury that we could say listen no we're just going to hold fire on this one and we're going to take our time and really discover what the market is telling us not what we think should fit into the market um and that gave us that gave us time that gave us space and that gave us the ability to 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 respond as as we saw the market was telling us say listen you're actually wrong you need to do this or whatever the case may be and discover what the revenue model is and discover what the product market fit is mm. and there there you reach moments that take time to find out especially in an industry that has a slow cycle these aren't bang, 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 bang. This isn't consumer, fast moving consumer goods that the, that the market is going to tell you very quickly. Like you have long tails on sales, you have mm. long tails on closes. Um, so it takes a while to understand these things, especially at an enterprise scale. And did you, this, did, uh, I was going to ask, I mean, from the point yeah. of view of your, when you're bootstrapping a business, obviously the, the, the initial clients that you sign up are critical. Did you find people were reluctant or did you you know bring people in on a kind of test you know beta test um as kind of trial you know did you kind of introduce people that way because it's hard to get someone to sign up to a product for the first time when it's only Uh, starting out yeah 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 like the first product that we started with was was an auction product um and there there was a familiarity familiarity in the market about online auctions and that kind of thing so we had an auction product that i built myself and agents had on board and started using that. And we used that kind of as a as a route to discussions to understand what people were at. And that the, the lessons that we were learning through the development of that informed where the, the bidding product, um, where Beagle eventually came from. And the, that really told us the light touch piece. Originally, when, when we started building the, the auction product, 
we were looking to add value to the to the agents and help them with consumer facing problems and onboarding and customer support and the more we tried to give them the nervier they got because we were dealing with how, what they saw as their customers and they were 100% right we were dealing with their customers with and they didn't want us dealing with their customers so that actually that once you pull that out that your customer support level starts to drop and and mm. so we drop further and further and further back from the interface um and into the enterprise space by just continually listening for that message yeah i can understand i mean they kind of think initially the worry would be that this is like a trojan horse and you've you're there you're kind of helping them and suddenly, oh, these are all now our customers, you know, <laughs> and good luck with your business that you, you know, your analog exactly. business. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. did people, I mean, the automatic thought that it comes into my head is that, you know, you coming from that sector, was there kind of a, a, a sense that how can, you know, can we trust that you're not pulling these customers to a, your other family business and, and things like that? Correct. Did it take time yeah. to establish that you're genuine and that this isn't that this isn't an issue? Um, that was one of the reasons why I left, Gavin. You had to step down. Want... Yeah, you had to oh, step down. Absolutely. I had to. I had to because it, it couldn't. I, I couldn't. This isn't a, a, a backdoor purple bricks. Like it's not. It's yeah, not. Yeah. It's not an attempt to set up an online agency. And it's why Beagle doesn't have an auctioneer's license and we've no intentions of going down that road we don't hold client funds we don't get into kyc we don't get into aml so we want to make it perfectly clear and that we're we have no intentions of getting into that high touch high customer support area that that is going to erode our clients businesses it's not it's not what we're at it's tough enough being an agent out there as it is without thinking that somebody else is going to come in and eat your dinner that's not what we're at yeah 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 now that's it's really interesting so what are the challenges that face you now going forward i mean what's what's your your what's the biggest list of of challenges that you're trying to kind of overcome at this stage scaling yeah scaling in the us or just general scaling we're scaling in the us it's it's managing scale um we're we're getting into that that piece of managing scale how do we go about it? Um, providing resources for onboarding for dev teams, um, that that kind of stuff. That's that's where our focus is at the moment. Um, is understanding that piece of it and, and smoothing smoothing the onboarding journey and smoothing that support piece for our our clients, dev teams, and their 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 um their, their teams coming in coming into the ecosystem. And do you see yourself having to resort to raising VC finance or will you continue to bootstrap? I'm not adverse to raising finance. Um, we have been approached by a couple of investors since, since we started in the US. Um, if they're the correct fit for what we're trying to do and they can help accelerate our journey, we are absolutely very happy to, to work with them. And if they're going to open up more doors for us to, to, to speed up what we're trying to do, if if that doesn't work, if the fit doesn't feel right, we're very content to continue to bootstrap um, and, and get what we're trying to do correct. That's the important thing for us because I think the, 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 having the having the product right and having the consumers happy is, is more important than having 
a war chest of a couple of hundred grand so that brings in its own problems if an accelerator are trying to do then very happy to accelerate yeah if it's a, if it's a slow build it's a slow build you know it, it, we're, we're, we, we want it we want to do this properly um tell us what i mean running a, a business that's trying to scale in america what does that do in terms of your time uh, management <laughs> Throws my body clock off to an inordinate extent. I was thinking, like, you're doing a lot of late nights and stuff, I would imagine, are you? Yeah, late nights and early mornings. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And they, do you find, just... are, do you consider, is there any point uh, in this sort of story where Healy becomes a, a resident in the US or is that sort of not on the cards? It, it's it's not on the cards. Um, it was, I was requested to do so um in a conversation we're having before and i have absolutely no interest in moving to the us yeah. i'll hop on a plane and go up and do a tour around but i'm far too fond of that loan being honest with you gavin i like this country <laughs> yeah it's funny it's the reason i ask is just that there's a there's a there's a couple of guys that i'm aware of in the prop tech space um not in your specific area but you know kind of on the fringes and Recently, one of them moved to the U.S. and is actually you know, living in, uh, I think he's living in New York City. And um, it's interesting to see people kind of making that leap, kind of deciding that if they want to scale or, or whatever, they feel like it's necessary to be on the ground over there. So that's why I was curious just whether you saw that as an option. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I, I honestly don't, don't, I, I don't want to. Um, I would have thought that the last two years has actually been helpful in in that conversation because the fact that we're all online now, whereas before you might have been expected to be front and front and center in the office to walk around. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Like these these kind of Zoom calls, Teams, and all the rest of it. Like I'm doing twenty to twenty five Zooms and all the rest of it on on an average week um right. and like 20 12 24 months ago that was impossible you'd hop on a plane for a one hour meeting in london and come back again and half a day is gone but now you can you can be doing calls you could be doing australia at six o'clock in the morning and you could be doing seattle at eight o'clock at night and there's no difficulties with it people are very happy to do so um as you we were saying earlier their teams are probably distributed as well um, so they might be only meeting on teams anyway. So you're just another face in the room. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it responds very, very well that way. Suits, suits the business model. It has transformed the way people perceive, you know, locations now and stuff like that. You know, you can actually, you could be living in Spain or, you know, Yugoslavia. <laughs> There's no such thing as Yugoslavia anymore. But you know what I mean? It's like you could yeah. you could be in any of these locations and it doesn't really matter anymore. But it that was not the case just two years ago. So it's amazing how the how COVID has transformed the way we even perceive that conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to see the emergence of pure virtual companies over the next couple of years. Um, companies that, that are born online, the founders meet online, they sign their term sheets online, they recruit online, and nobody ever meets face-to-face. It's a series of sheds and back gardens. <laughs> it'll be interesting to see. I, I mean, I, I, I would, I mean, I don't disagree that I'm sure it'll be there, but I, I just, from my perspective here on the ground in a business park, I, I've, I have conversations with the, you know, the, the corporate occupiers here, and most of them all want to get back to the office. They don't like the, they like the option of working from home, but they don't like full-time working from home. 
And yeah. that is something that we, I mean, that's, that's becoming more and more of a thing. Whereas in the past, it was kind of like, oh, geez, yeah, I'd love to work from home full time, but try it for two years. And it's not long before people are, God, I'd love to get back to the office. I'd love to get back to the banter. And, you know, but I do think that the, the office as a, you know, as a workplace is changing and you're going to be talking about, you know, instead of having rows and rows of desks, you're probably going to be having collaboration space and meeting rooms and there'll be kind of area breakout areas where you can kind of socialize with your colleagues and stuff. And the days that you do go into the office are going to be days that you're going into mingle and kind of build, you know, work with your team. It's not going to be a day to go in and sit at the desk and quietly work away for eight hours. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. I, I think it's it's it won't be one. It's not going to be case of one or the other. It's going to be a matter of personal preferences. You're going the emergence of people working from home, co-working spaces, the corporate office, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, depending on the household size and the nature of what's there, and if you want to get out of the house and go to it, like the the, the the you could you could be living in Athlone, for example. You could be going to a co-working hub somewhere in the middle of town, and then once or twice a week. You might hop on the train and head up to the corporate office in in Dublin or Galway yeah. or someplace. I think that 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 kind of flexibility and giving the team the, the giving the team the flexibility to do their job as they see fit and as long as the results are coming through, that's what's important at the end of the day. Not yeah. where it's being done. The asynchronous nature of work is becoming more and more apparent. Yeah, um, and, and it's it, interesting. It, just you know, speaking of online company, I mean, one of the biggest fastest growing tech companies at the moment is TikTok. And I was interested to read during the week that they've signed a lease here on an office headquarters of 212,000 square feet here in Dublin. And, wow. uh, and they've, they've signed the lease like this past weekend, I think, or week um, it was signed. And, um, you know, it'll take probably a year before that is fully fitted out and that, you know, they have staff moving in. And no sooner have they signed it, they're already looking for their next location because they think that they're going to be probably outgrowing that building within like the next three years or something like that. So it's just incredible how these tech companies, like the expansion and the speed that they that they grow their teams is beyond belief. But they still need to have, like I, I have actually, my wife has a, one of our best friends is um, is working for TikTok. And, and we were chatting there recently. She was asking me, have you heard, like, when are we going to be moving into our new building? Because she, she can't wait to get into an office. Like she works at home and she has a young daughter and it's like, you know, it's, it, she just finds it very hard to get a proper day's work done at home compared to the, yeah. uh, you know, being in an office and, and, and being kind of in the right place for that kind of work, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, we 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 we've we strolled strained strode off your uh, the point of uh, the conversation with Healy Hines. Uh, so Healy, just in terms of like you know the prop tech market, the real estate market in general, and technology and its kind of interface. Like, what are you excited about over the next couple of years? Or you know, like where do you see the next big kind of you know moment in the in the in the industry like where is it going to is there a kind of a shift that you see or you're predicting um i i, I think i tell you what what i'm fascinated with at the at the moment is the the the, the movement the the access and the impact that big data is going to have in the property sector i think that's going to be very very interesting over, over the next couple of years um a, a lot of the the, the prop tech um 
the prop tech innovation that's going on the introduction of like smart building technologies and th this kind of stuff like the the impact that that's going to have over on on the the experience of users and of consumers of the property industry not not just in, on an occupier base of day to day and what we you know we work innovated in 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 their buildings but how that's actually going to feed down into the design and provision of housing and obviously customer experiences from our perspective as as, as mm. Beagle, obviously, and the tools that we can provide for for our agents and, and the consumers of their services. But the, the bigger impact of what that's going to mean for the industry as a whole, um, leading into the provision of housing stock, where developments are going to happen, um, and the, hopefully the, the, the identification of pain points in the sector before they actually become pain points like mm. we're, we're seeing it now in 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 dublin and in ireland with 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 supply demand imbalances and where people are looking to build and where the planning commissions have been granted and tensions in planning applications and all, all this kind of stuff which, which if if there was a 24 or, or 36 month forewarning or, or or longer term planning about where these things are going to be coming from that the planners themselves and the developers themselves and the banks will get greater comfort about what the market is actually going to be demanding um, and be better able to plan and predict forward um, what what the what the, the industry as a whole is going to require so I, I think I think that's that's going to be very very interesting over the next couple of years yeah um, certainly the construction that, that, process is uh, I mean, I, I go out every week to the construction site that we're, we're building some houses in Dublin here at the moment. And every week I go out and, you know, I see a little bit of progress every week. And as I'm watching it, I kind of think to myself, can you just imagine the efficiency if this was all being done in a controlled environment in a factory where it's all modular and it arrives on site kind of ready to just assemble and all you need to do is build the, the foundation and the base and the infrastructure and that's it, bang, that you just come in then and erect it like a big Meccano set. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's, I think, where, the, where it has to go because the, the, you know, the supply demand imbalances that we, we keep on talking about, that, you know, the, the combination of delays in the planning process, if you, even if you wanted to build a thousand houses next week, I mean, it's just to take you a year of, to get through the planning process just to do that. And then when you've done that, you've got to try to, you know, cobble together, you know, uh, all these different crews to actually build out that number of homes and stuff. And there's not enough brick layers, there's not, not enough block layers, there's supply demand, you know, the supply chain issues of trying to get product to site, because we're, we're storing yeah. an enormous amount on site at the moment that we normally would just be order and it's delivered the next day or a day later or whatever it's um it's really problematic at the moment and you can see we need housing so badly and yet we can't deliver it and you know 2008 there was 90,000 homes built and we still we need to build at the moment i think that they say that we need to build 50,000 houses and yet we cannot come even close to that number at the moment and so, yeah, technology would be if we could figure out a way for technology to do that, it would be uh, yeah. it would be a big plus. Interesting. I'm conscious of yeah. time, Healy. Um, you're a busy man. And um, so just in terms of if people wanted to learn more about uh, Beagle, like what's the best way to find you and to connect with you? 
Um, it, they, they can go to the website, beagle.io, so that's B-E-A-G-E-L.io, um, or they can find me on Twitter, or uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. The Twitter handle is Healy Hines, and the company is beagle underscore I-O. Okay, great stuff. Healy, before we go, final bit of um, advice. I always ask my guests, uh, knowing now what you know and all the experience you've got, looking back uh, on your career and things like that, if you were if you were to given the opportunity to speak to your 20 year old self, what advice would you give? The, I would say, tell my 20 year old self not to take it so seriously. <laughs> yeah. Just I enjoy life. Very serious. Oh, man. oh God. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so Relax just enjoy, yeah. enjoy life a, bit, a little bit more and don't be so kind of hard yeah. on yourself. Take it in, take it in. <laughs> <laughs> Smell the roses as they say. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, Healy, it's been a real pleasure. Um, thanks for your time today. And uh, yeah, I'll go and put in the show notes uh, links to your LinkedIn and your Twitter and the, uh, the, the, the Beagle uh, website. So thanks so much for your time and uh, catch you soon. Cheers, much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you enjoyed this or found it useful, please take a moment now to leave a review on iTunes or indeed share it with a friend. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group Behind the Facade community. Alternatively, send me a direct message on social media. My handle, as always, is Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all of the projects and things I'm working on by joining my tribe, adding your name and email over at gavinjgallagher.com. That's all for now, guys. See you back here next week. Mm-hmm.